Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the QV Factory Reboot brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. We are recording today on Tuesday, September 6th, and on today's episode, we're going to be previewing what's to come with the Birds' week one game against the Detroit Lions this upcoming Sunday on September 11th. And so before we even get started, I'm your host, Rachel Prevet, as always, joined by my amazing co-host, the one and only QB expert, Mark Schofield. And before we jump into anything, don't forget to rate, don't forget to leave a review, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media at VGN Radio, on Instagram at Bleeding Green green insta all that good stuff but mark you have a quote a song lyric any of that i do in today's show um a little bittersweet we'll get to that in a second uh but my i'm gonna go movie quote today and it's a pretty simple one the terminator i'll be back and the reference there is this is my last show um i announced some news on friday that i am stepping away from touchdown wire and some other places and i will be announcing uh, my next destination later this week, um, teaser, uh, that we'll look for that on Thursday. I'm not going too far, but this is my last show uh, here at the QB Factory. It's a bit bittersweet. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm back at some point. For sure. I have a quote from a movie, I guess, or show. And then we're going to, we have a surprise for you guys. But before we get to that, my quote says, I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, never. Your friendship is the best present ever. Oh. And that was for Mark. Oh, It was from Winnie the Pooh. Um, yep. Not going to get emotional, but yes, I Aww. learned so much from you. Like I told you, I mean, doing this show has been awesome. Um, yeah. I wish I could keep doing it. It's been an absolute blast. Um, getting to know you is great. Like I told you this weekend, just don't forget me when you're huge and famous. Like, please don't forget me when you're huge and famous. I will, I promise. But let's get to the reason the listeners are here. Mark, do you want to do the introduction or do you want me to do the introduction? Introduction? Wait, what are you talking about here? I mean, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. So we have a very, 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 very special guest for today's episode. A very familiar guest. Around here, he goes by Boss Man. Oh boy. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Nobody <laughs> so- would be here if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. He's the expert. And so I'm just going to, you know, bring him in. He doesn't really need an introduction. You guys know. No, he doesn't. You know who this is. If you're oh, dear God. See who it is. If you're listening, just say something for them so they can hear your voice. So you thought <laughs> that you could leave us without me coming in and doing one more one more show with you here on BGN for the for the quarterback factory. Uh, you're wrong, bud. I, I'm here to take over the show. I'm here to to, to talk some birds, <laughs> to talk about this week one matchup, and to uh, and and to see you off and congratulate you 
um, on your next step, which we're, we're not announcing here. Like you said, you're going to do that on Thursday. Uh, but just uh, extremely happy for you. I know I know it's fantastic news. Um, and just in, in uh, Thursday, I believe you told me was the eight year anniversary of your co-founding. That's right. Of Inside the Pylon. My first piece at Inside the Pylon went up eight years ago Thursday. So it's uh, we're bringing it full circle on Thursday. It's it's been an eight year journey for you. I've been with you for a lot of it. I started off as a listener of Inside the Pylon and quick kicks, baby. <laughs> quick kicks. That's right. You and Chuck Zada. And, and I, I remember listening to that and I was just starting to get into football a little bit deeper than I was at that point. Um, I think 2012 is when I got like my first game pass subscription and I started taking notes on everything and I started really getting into it. And I remember inside the pylon being the thing that for me, that was like, no, th this is how I want to digest football. I, I, I want to take it to, to a deeper cut. Um, and I remember listening to quick kicks and whatnot. I used to listen in like every Friday on my way to work and hope that you and Chuck would answer the question that I would submit on Twitter. I was a, a just a literal nobody uh, at that time. And you guys always had great answers for it. And you guys taught me so much about the game and like that flap of the butterflies wings uh, kind of put me on the, the uh, my current path and, and my trajectory and, and getting to have a deeper appreciation for, for the game led to scouting Academy, which, led to other opportunities in the podcast world, led to BGN and, and, and led to me now being, you know, executive producer for, for the team community podcast here at BGN and getting to work with wonderful people like, like Rachelle. Um, it's, it's been awesome. So you've had such a huge impact on, on my career. And I know you've had such a big impact on the careers of, of so many others. Um, and I'm glad to see you finally get uh, what you've earned and what you deserve. And, and I couldn't be happier for you, bud. So I wanted to come, come in and talk some smack and end up turning into this, but, uh, I'm just thrilled for you. Bud. It's getting dusty in here, man. <laughs> it's getting dusty. In here. See, I thought you were going to come in and like, you know, draw some historical reference to compare me to like some awful historical figure. Like I thought once your face popped up, I was just going to get roasted for the next 30 minutes. Well, I do have a historical reference. If you guys will allow me to rant for a little bit more. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's, it's not about you. Uh, and it's not even about uh, quarterbacks in a way it's tied in, in, in there. But, you know, th this show deals with more than just uh, quarterbacks. So as I've often said, um, Howie Roseman makes the most sense if we view him through the lens of fourth century A.D. Rome. I've, I've said this a million times. I was just telling my wife this the other day. She was not listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th I think there's this perception maybe. Uh, that's been kind of pushed aside by by historians in the last couple of decades that there was this that the fourth century AD Rome is like a time of weakness for Rome. Uh, part of the fall, as somebody like Edward Gibbon uh, would argue over six just massive volumes. Um, and yeah, you are coming off the heels of the whole crisis of the third century, which lasts nearly 50 years. There's a million different emperors all duking it out. None of them really get it done. Uh, but in the fourth century, you get two quote unquote, the greats. Uh, in Constantine and Theodosius, uh, they combined a rule for, I think, almost half the century. And when you look at the balance sheet, I think it's a time of like relative strength for the empire. The main reason I bring this up has to do with what Peter Heather wrote in his book, uh, The Fall of the, of the Roman Empire, which if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to hold that book up for the, uh, for the gentle listeners. It's, uh, it's a pretty hefty one. Um, 
it's a meaty tone. <laughs> so when, when talking about Rome splitting the empire into eastern and western halves between co-emperors, he writes, quote, uh, periodic conflict at the top was the price to be paid for the empire's success. Uh, he continues, periods of political stability were likely to be punctuated by moments of conflict before a new regime, effectively recombining a sufficiently wide range of interest, managed to establish itself. Sometimes the conflict was brief, sometimes extended, but the civil wars of the fourth century did not make the empire vulnerable. The propensity at the time to divide imperial authority achieved a better outcome than the refusal to do so had in the mid-third, when 20 legitimate emperors and a host of usurpers each averaged just two years in power, end quote. So if to, to, to summarize this and bring it all to, to football, if third century Rome, with all of its struggles with barbarians and civil wars and rebellions and instability and the turnstile-like emperor comings and goings, if third century Rome is like the lions and jets have been historically just constantly cycling through the bad for decades, then I would argue that fourth century Rome is more like Harry Roseman and the Eagles because there were, there were no clear indications that fourth century Rome, especially in the East, was headed towards a collapse despite almost like pre-planned civil wars and political strife that was kind of baked into the thing. And, and Howie's position was always stronger than it was generally, generally believed at the time. And Howie has operated like a man who knew that his position was safe. That was, that, that was never more clear than after the just horrible 2020 season, where instead of making moves and acting like a desperate man in a win now mode, he made moves that were clearly meant to bear the most fruit at two, three, even four years down the line. That security has allowed him to be bold. It has allowed him to weather disruptions. And while as we, as a fan base and analysts, have been understandably impatient and frustrated when we're in the inevitable valleys of this strategy that come with how he conducts his business in a win-now league, we got to understand that how he can take this team to the peak like he's done before. And overall, I've said this before, but I think we give Howie too much credit for when things are going well and too much criticism when they aren't. And, and these plans are so sensitive to things like injury luck, interpersonal relationships, team dynamics, weird bounces of the ball on the field. And the 31 other teams, they all have very smart people in charge. They have the same amount of cap to play with. It's hard to get to the top. It's even harder to stay there in this league. And you can jack that up to 100 when you have a disruption at the quarterback position, which is what we talk about on the show all the time. And, and to that last point, Howie has to share in some of that blame going sideways. There, there's still a lot of unknown there, but he's also been patient in moving assets towards the future to safeguard against that if things go south with, with Jalen Hurts. And like, they can say they're all in on Hurts all they want, and they should say that, right? That's the right thing to say. But they should also protect themselves because who really knows? And, and I think they've done that. So even if this turns out to be one of those cases where things fall a good deal short because the expectations are sky high, national media, you know, the Eagles are the darling of national media right now. Howie, at the end of it, if it falls short, can sit down with, with, with Lori and say, hey, we've got a lot of great pieces in place. We position ourselves to pivot if need be. Here's the plan moving forward. And Lori will probably look at that and go, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather be that than the Lions or Jets. I'd rather be 4th century Rome with a little bit of conflict than 3rd century Rome with all of this you know, upheaval. And I, we... We'll all collectively wring our hands if that's what happens, and we'll spew fire on Twitter until preseason 2024 rolls around, and we're right back on the hype bus. So, or I, I mean, hey, and maybe he nails it this time around, which would to wrap this whole thing up. 
be very, very cool. So that is my historical reference for today. My whole take on Howie Roseman and, and how we should view him in a more uh, macro lens. Um, so yeah, Love it. there it is. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, my friend. So the follow-up question is this, are the expectations too high? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think they are, but I still think this is definitely a playoff competitor um, or, or right. at the very least should be. Uh, I think they're too too high because of the questions with Jalen Hurts. And before I get labeled like a Jalen Hurts hater or anything like that, um, it's just it's just an unknown. If you have an unknown at the most important position, if he's not taking a huge step forward or even a significant step forward this year, it can limit your ceiling. Now you can still do what like the 49ers did with Jimmy G. You can you can get to championship games. You can even get to a Super Bowl, but ultimately there are some limitations there. And the more limitations you have in this league, especially at the quarterback position, the more things you need to go right in other areas. You can't have injury concerns at other places where that 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 make you weaker. You need the right balances of the ball. Again, it's just so hard to win in this league. So I think the expectation should be that this is a very good football team that takes a step forward when it comes to beating other playoff caliber teams, which they didn't do last year. The offense should take a a slight step forward again. And I think that's good enough to say, hey, we can kind of continue to push the chips in on this, you know, into the next year and just become stronger throughout that process. So I think the expectations are a little bit too high and should be tempered a little bit, but that doesn't mean that I think this isn't a team that isn't a serious playoff contender. You know, it's interesting. We're doing this Tuesday morning, and Stephen Ruiz at the Ritter, like, just dropped his, like, quarterback rankings, which is incredibly well done, the graphics and all of that, and Steve's analysis. But putting the ranking aside, here's how he begins his his Hurts section. We're in year three with Jalen Hurts, and I'm still not ready to make any grand declarations on what he could be. The development we've seen from him from his time at Alabama up until now has been impressive, but he still has a long way to go before establishing himself as a good starting quarterback. I think that's entirely accurate, right? Like that's spot on. And the question becomes, does he A, develop enough this year so that they remain all in on him, or B, does he do just enough that they remain relevant, but it doesn't convince people that he's the guy or even C does it completely collapse? I guess those are the three options. Yeah. And which do we think is the most likely? Yeah. And I don't know that it's hard. And, and and what do we need to see to be like, yeah, he's, 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 he's come along to a certain point that, that, you know, those, those weaknesses are, are, are less prevalent and the strengths are, are better. I think, you know, when you look at what the Eagles did well with him, his ability to run for first downs and touchdowns, I mean, they're up there with the best in the league. Uh, you look at the yeah, numbers, they're absolutely. up there with Lamar. Um, and the Eagles really leaned into this. They ran the most quarterback design runs and or option plays in the league. They were very successful with those. According to PFF, they landed above a 50% success rate on those on those designs. But with that success, you saw how the Bucks countered in the playoffs. Loading the box with safeties, forcing the Hurts to win in ways that it has to be a key area of development for Hurts in, in 2022. He has to be better with his habits from a clean pocket by not causing unnecessary pressure on himself to limit those turnover worthy plays, which would be a bonus. But I think that stems from the first point, keeping himself clean and not putting himself in a, in a, in a place where he has to make frantic decisions. Um, so I think that gets cleaned up if he's able to clean up his habits in the pocket. Uh, he's just going to be a little bit better with his deep ball accuracy. I'm not asking for a Josh Allen jump from being, you know, Josh Allen was one of the worst deep ball passers in the league accuracy-wise to one of the best all of, all of a sudden for whatever reason. 
I think Hertz is maybe slightly below average in terms of his deep ball. If he can get slightly, you know, above on the plus side, I think that's a big win because you need that you need that deep ball to to make teams pay when they remove that back end coverage support. And that should be able to open things up and also help the, the the running game too. So I think that's really what you're looking for. Just a little more consistent. Keep yourself cleaner when things are clean. Don't cause any problems for yourselves that will lead to to, to lead to to turnovers and whatnot. So yeah, I mean I I think the trade for AJ Brown was so huge for a number of different reasons. Like yes, the chemistry between Hertz and Brown and the friendship and the relationship is a huge part of that. But I think the trade for Brown gets us in the direction of your later point, which is getting teams back into too high, right? Because we're living in this too high world. And like you said, Tampa Bay, they just loaded the box. They basically said, look, we're going to play single high. We're going to dare you to throw the ball because we don't think you can throw deep. Brown gives you, if not through him, the element of the deep ball, creating opportunities for Smith in more favorable situations because now with brown you can move smith around a little bit you can play him off the ball you can get him some freer releases that gives him the ability to win downfield against coverage and that perhaps gives them the ability to force teams out of too high which gets them to where i think they want to be for the most part which is running the numbers advantage in the box yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly i mean this game right now is all about the numbers in the box like you know, and we can quibble between, you know, men in the box versus gaps in the box and run fits and things like that. Like, like there's nerdier conversations to be had. But I think the goal here with Brown and what they want to do gets to your point of if they can throw teams back into too high, that's the world they want to live in. Yeah. Rachel, what's free oh. i'm sorry i was gonna i was gonna toss it to you you were taking it over which you, which you should do this is this is your show but i was i was i was, I was curious i was gonna ask you uh, ben ben solak asked me this uh a couple of years ago it was like what's your what's your confidence level of hurts as a franchise quarterback for the eagles and i think this was coming after you know he got his first initial few starts um in in 2020 and we were looking into 2021 and i think i was like a, a four out of ten at the time I think I'm more like a five or six out of 10 at this point. He's he's won me over uh, more than he hasn't, um, especially with the off-field stuff. We know he's going to be a leader. We know he's going to inspire confidence. We know he's the players are going to play, you know, hard for him. He separates himself from Wentz. Uh, it's it's a it's a one eighty in 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 that degree, uh, but it's still still some some things that I need to see on the field before I'm entirely convinced on him. So I'm at like a five or six out of ten. What's your level of confidence um, on Hertz moving forward? What's your number? I think six is fair, you know, based off of like all of the offseason talk. We know that, you know, he's now surrounded by so many offensive weapons. So it falls on him Mm -hmm. like he has all of the necessary tools. The thing that really scares me is we talk so much about how with today and how quarterbacks who are more mobile, like they lean more so on the run on their legs because that's their strength. So my fear is the fact that we saw in a preseason, you know, he went six of six, but that's a preseason game. Can he do that consistently throughout the remainder of the season and not always just lean on his legs? Cause I feel like that's where the shortcoming comes because even though last year, you know, the Eagles were run heavy and that was their identity. We know that that's not where they want to stay. So I just don't know if I see him being Jalen Hurts, and we know that he's going to lean on his legs, but also now having A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, and also the run game. Like, I'm kind of confused as to, like, what's their identity going to be and how is there going to be, like, this balance with so much going on? Yeah. 
So that's where I'm at. I don't know. I mean, all we can do is wait and see. But I get a little bit nervous when I think of Hurts and how he's going to fall into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I'm a six too. I, I think that's entirely fair, and it's something that we've talked about, you know, for years on this show. Hurts dropping his eyes, like, you know, he, he fought against that a lot last year. Like we talked a lot about the Denver game, where you could literally see him fight that urge to bail from the pocket. I mean, it's Stevens right up from the Rainer quarterback rankings. I mean, his biggest weakness is his pocket presence. No, that's the thing. Like everybody asked me, like, what do you need to see from Hertz to be convinced that he's the guy? And, you know, they want to hear numbers. And it's like, no, I want to see that. I want to see where his eyes are on third and seven. And he feels that he sees that flash of color, not even up front, because I can get that, like on the edges. What does he do there? Does he try to run out the back door, as we've seen so many times before, and run himself into that trouble that Mike talked about earlier? Or does he click and climb in the pocket? Does he, like, make a stick throw after climbing the pocket on third and seven to hit somebody either over the middle or on the outside to move the chains? If we see that on a consistent basis, and I don't really care about the numbers, that's what I want to see. If we continue to see the same mistakes he made in Tuscaloosa, in Norman, and as a first-year starter last year in the pocket in terms of his pocket management – you're never going to learn it then. Like if you're doing that in year three, you're not going to learn it. Year three is the Bill Walsh critical year for quarterback, yeah. right? This is the figure it out year. And yes, everybody's saying, oh, Josh Allen, year three, year three leap. Like Josh Allen might be one of one, okay? But you want to see Jalen Hurts be better in this huge glaring weakness that he was when this when the last year ended. Yeah. I mean, what happens when he sprains his ankle? What does it look like then? Right. You know? What happens when you take away that mobility? Because he's carrying the ball so much. Yep. Injuries are, are are bound to happen anyway to a quarterback in this league. What does it look like when he sprains his ankle? Does it does it does the offense still function like it like it should? Because if we see that, then okay, cool. Then then I'm in. Yeah. Right. Um yeah. so yeah, that's it's 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 fascinating. You're right. The third year is the is the figure it out year. I think the Eagles have been right to be patient. I think we should be patient with Hertz. I think we have to this point. Um, mm-hmm. Bucks game aside, I thought Hertz did everything to earn himself another prove it year um so i don't want to just you know make it seem like we're bagging on the guy this whole time this is part of the this is part of the development of a young quarterback and figuring out if 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 he's the guy and development is not linear because teams in the nfl will figure you out if you don't have a counter punch if you're jared goff and you and you can't deal with certain things period which i'm sure we'll talk about later then you're 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 kind of screwed in this league and, and you're, and you're just going to be, uh, you're just going to be kind of, kind of limited. So if, if Hertz can function in the pocket, when things are clean, if, if Hertz can function when some of his running ability is taken away either by injury or by defensive schemes, then I think we're, I, I think we're cooking with gas at that point. And then the expectations are warranted to your, to your earlier question. So since you brought him up, anybody got any Jared Goff takes? <laughs> and I had a question, kiss you're the, you know, guest of the hour. Okay. Um, so looking back, like Jalen Hurts and Jared Goff are kind of in the same similar situations, both of them under pressure and a little bit. We saw how Jared Goff looked in 2018 compared to 2021. So let's talk about what's it going to look like for him. What does success look like for uh, Jared Goff going into this season? I'm, I'm not sure because, you know, it's it's there's so many things around Goff have to be right in the offensive scheme. The, the playmakers, the the offensive line, especially uh, for Goff, for, for things to go well. I think Goff at times for spurts can look like a top. He, there, there have been times in his career 
where he has looked like a top five quarterback when everything is was is clean around him. When things are clean around him and he's dealing, he can look really stinking good. If he's under pressure and like analytics people and whatnot will tell you, you know, stats under pressure are not a sticky stat and they aren't. But for some quarterbacks, they are. Uh, Goff is one of those few quarterbacks because he's never really improved under pressure, not statistically, nor just as as you know, when you look at him on film. Uh, Mark did did a study a couple of years ago and it was like, OK, what does the, the, the EPA for a quarterback look like, you know? when they've taken zero hits? What does it look like when they've taken one in a game? What's it look like when they've taken two or three? Okay, now now what's it like when they hit four or five? And Goff falls off a cliff once he's harassed a certain amount of times. Um, and, and that's always been the case with him. Uh, just everything falls away. He won't step into throws. I mean, I remember watching the Dallas playoff game and they, they, were, they were in the red zone and he made one throw uh, to, to the end zone. And he had pressure in his face and he wouldn't step into it. I'm like, if you're not going to step into this throw in a playoff game, when are you ever going to step into a throw when there's pressure in your face? And I think that's the one main failing with Goff. And I, I you know, last year we, we can look at his results and say, yeah, it, it, his, his big time throws weren't there. He was not aggressive down the field. I think that has somewhat to do with the playmakers he had available to him. Kenny Galladay, you know, was gone, whatever. Um, so I think, him being just a coward in general, not pushing the ball down the field, not being able to deal with pressure is always going to limit his ceiling. It was something that he was never able to to move on from. Um, and he's going to have a long career probably because of it. But ultimately, the high points are, are never going to be as high as they were with Sean McVay and with things the way they were with the Rams. I think this is a good test for Jonathan Gannon. In terms of okay, last year Gannon was, was very conservative. Um, didn't have the the right pieces in in place to be more aggressive. You know, we were constantly asking why are two bad linebackers on the field? Well, on passing downs because we didn't have a viable third safety. So, which one do you want? Either way, you're kind of screwed. We can't blitz that much because we just don't have the guys on that, that that can play on the island and so on and so forth. So it's all a very conservative shell meant to limit explosive plays, which they did for the most part. But ultimately, you were left wanting more. You didn't want to get carved up for 90% by every decent quarterback that you came across. Now all the pieces are in place and you're going up against a quarterback that you see can get rattled and has been rattled against the Eagles before, visibly rattled against the Eagles in the past. You have that historical precedence. So if you're not necessarily getting there with four, will Gannon ramp up the pressure and say, no, we need to move Goff off the spot? Because the moment that you take Goff off of his natural launch point, that's the moment when everything unravels for him. The Eagles have to do that, you know, and they have to they have to do it with four with their pass rush, or they need to start bringing some heat because if they can do that, then golf's just going to unravel for the entire game. Yeah, I mean, he's very much Garoppolo on steroids, right? Right. Like <laughs> that's what like he has those moments where he can throw the ball to all levels with accuracy, but the second things start to break down, whether it's from a protection standpoint or from a coverage rotation standpoint. That's what it completely goes south. I mean, let's not forget Super Bowl 53, right? That was when Goff and McVay were at the peak of their offensive powers. And the Patriots did one thing in that game that completely made him melt out. It was they put two defensive calls in the huddle. And the second that radio headset cut off in Goff's helmet, they rotated. They made it audible up front, and Goff had to figure it out on his own. And he couldn't. Like, he, he had – 
we were just talking about athletic quarterbacks and crutches, right? With with Hurts. Well, for golf, he had a huge crutch, which was Sean McVay in his ear. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of gone now. And you know, we saw what ended up happening in Super Bowl Fifty Three that he, could, he couldn't figure it out. The other thing with golf is what plays off of that. He always hesitates. He always hesitates. You think back to the most pivotal play in that game. Brandon Cooks on that over route, that deep post route, where he hesitated for one split second from a clean pocket and gave Jason McCourty time to come from the opposite sideline to break it up. Like, Goff, you have to exploit the hesitation with him. And so for Gannon, to that point, if he could get him to hesitate for a half second, even in clean pocket situations, with a rotation, with a blitz that he has to sort of figure out, with something, even if it's everybody's most hated coverage on earth, to invert, where you just run it just to confuse him, that could work. And this is, I think, a great test, obviously, for Hurts, like we talked about all season one. But forget it, this game. This game is created in a Petri dish to prove to all of Eagles Twitter and to prove to basically the rest of the NFL that you now have the pieces to run the defense that everybody has been dying to see from the Philadelphia Eagles for the past year. Right. Yep. So talking about defense, there's a lot of adjust. There's a lot of new additions to the Eagles roster. We already know that. When we're talking about the defensive side of the ball specifically, Kiss, are there any players that you're most looking forward to see? Well, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Go ahead. You've been waiting. You've had this one queued up for a week, haven't you? What do we from the from the defensive perspective? I want to I want to see I want to see Hassan Reddick. Um, I what I, I think is is just like one of the more underrated uh, additions has been has been not really really talked about. Uh, how does Kaiser White? function um if kaiser white is good then we don't need a third round pick into kobe dean to be an immediate impact contributor because it solves at least one of the positions at the at the at the second level um i wish Dar Derek barnett could do a single thing uh and and then not wipe it out by having a, a a stupid penalty that would be that would be sweet so that's three things i'm i'm, I'm looking for um is marcus epps the guy you were alluding to mark no <laughs> Who is no, it? Who, absolutely not. Who is it? Who is it? A recent acquisition. Who? Who? Basically, a week ago today, Chauncey. Oh, oh, oh! Of course. Number one, I, I like. I like my. I think. I think elite cornerbacks need need one trait, uh, and that is that they never have their mouthpiece in before the snap. Um, and, and that's just like a metaphor for like how great cornerbacks are. I think Cha Chauncey is like the all chirp team captain. Uh, this guy. He can he can get twenty five penalties in a, penalties in a year. I don't care. I want four interceptions, which he has great ball skills. I want four interceptions, and I want two forced ejections. I want him to get in the head of an opposing wide receiver so much that they just go whims on him and they just can't help themselves but throw a headbutt at him, throw a punch at a helmet, which is the dumbest thing in the world. I want him to get in their freaking heads. And 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 I think what the addition of Chauncey adds for them. You know, he wants to play safety and all this stuff. Well, safety still plays nickel a lot of times. They still have, you know, coverage responsibilities down in the box or in the slot and so on and so forth. It, it allows them to, if they, they're going up against a guy that Maddox doesn't match up well with, which Maddox has little tiny T-Rex arms, 29 inches, right? He just doesn't physically match up well with some wide receivers. And 
can't press him, can't play some 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 tight man. Chauncey will get up in their grill and play tight man and, and be all over him. Like I said, he might get a couple holding calls here and there, he might get a pass interference. I don't care. You know what I mean? Hold it, hold every play and, and make them call it every play if that's what they want to do. But like get in, get in, reroute somebody. Get be, be, be in there and be physical. Don't lose because you're not physical enough. And I think when you look at that defense, they shouldn't lose. They shouldn't be out physical by anybody, especially up front. And then you add somebody like Chauncey, who's just so freaking aggressive. I'm so excited about if, if I, I'm sure the gentle listeners, if they've been with us for a while, remember going into that draft, Chauncey was a top 20 player for me. He was actually number 20 on my board. I was shocked when he fell the way that he did. I thought there was some massive off the field problem with him that was just never revealed. And then he goes out there and he plays like a, like a top five nickel corner. Uh, for for his time in in New Orleans, so I think Chauncey adds. I mean, Howie is is taking the Saints to the to the cleaners in terms of the two trades that that he made with them uh, in the off season, and, and and Howie is going so in on this push. Chauncey's just another example of that. I remember before they signed Bradbury, I was I was talking with Rochelle in one of our one on ones. I'm like. I, maybe you can do something like uh, five free agents to, that are still out there to, that could make an impact on the team. Bradbury was at the top of that list. And Howie has taken all this and gone, I'm going to fill every single possible weakness that I can. So even if the quarterback position, it, we aren't elite there, everything else is so well in place uh, across both sides of the football that there's going to be no question that we can be a competitive football team. And, and Chauncey's just another sign, a sign of that. And I'm so excited to see him uh, probably more after the play and before the play than I am during the play, even though he's a doggone good football player. <laughs> I, I think the, the Chauncey trade is another example of Howie and sort of forward thinking. Earlier in August, Robert Mays wrote a piece on the evolution of the slot receiver. Mm. You know, it used to be five years ago, three years ago, your slot receivers were Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, like smaller, quicker, shiftier guys. Right. The league has shifted schematically, perhaps in part due to the influence of the wide zone, outside zone, McVay, Shanahan. Now you need slot receivers that can block, that can insert. You're playing Chris Godwin in the slot. There's a big dude. Yeah. Yeah. You're playing bigger guys, more physical guys in the slot. Now you need physical corners in the slot. Like your smaller, shifty slot corners that are like five, seven with T-Rex arms, (laughs) like you said, that's not the model now. Those guys are going to get beat up. Those guys are going to get worked on. So you need somebody like a Chauncey that can match that physicality in the slot. And I think with the league moving in that direction, and if you have visions of being a top-tier team, matching up with the Buccaneers, matching up with the Rams, you need somebody that can align in the slot against Cup, against Godwin. Now you've got your guy. Mm-hmm. Rachel. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking forward to on defense? Who's 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 your uh yep, definitely Chauncey? I mean, everybody loves somebody with that scrappiness, dog mentality for sure. Um, I've been banking on James Bradbury going into this season. I'm a little bit confident mm. to see him. Um, so definitely probably those two players are at the top of my list right now. What about you, Mark? Yeah, but you can't hide your wide receiver when you have Bradbury out there too. You can't hide him from slide. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Bradbury. He's looking really yeah. good in training camp. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Bradbury, you know, because because now you, you need two top corners in this league. Like, remember, I mean, I, I am, a my heart, a Patriots fan, and I remember years of Stephon Gilmore and then the emergence of J.C. Jackson at the opposite corner. Mm. Like, would you have the ability to just say, like, look, we don't need to travel. We don't need to worry about that. Like, if you want to put your wide receiver one on the left side or the right side, we're fine. We're good. 
that's a great strength to have. And, and Gannon, again, this gets back to the idea that Gannon has all of his tools at his disposal now to have the defense that we've been clamoring for for a year and a half. Now no we excuses. need to see it. That's correct. Yeah. And I really hope that my run here at QB Factory ends with a take on the defense. <laughs> I think that's appropriate. <laughs> nice. I mean, okay, because it's only right that while you're here, we get record predictions. You know, do you see the Eagles making the playoffs? You know, so give us your thoughts there. Yeah, I think um, what's what's the over under on the win total for the Eagles? Is it something like 11, 11.5 or is it 10.5? What's 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 that number? Because I, I can I can kind of kind of pull that up right now. Yeah, but I think plus, I see nine and a half okay. right now. That's ridiculous. They're hating. <laughs> that's a yeah. I, that's a hammer the over situation. I'm hammering you. So to to answer the question in that framework, uh, I'm hammering the over on nine point five. Are you kidding me? Um, and I'm probably saying t- twelve and five. Twelve and five yeah. feels right, and I feel like that does feel right. Yeah, I think they at least win one playoff oh. game. Uh, from there, like who knows? Who knows what happens throughout the season and 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 whatnot, and what other teams look like, and how the seating works out, so on and so forth. But I think they definitively win at the NFC East. The Cowboys have only gotten worse. Yeah. Um, and Mike McCarthy is a joke. Um, the, the commanders are whatever, uh, the giants, they're not even like fun, bad. They're just like bad, bad, like not even, I mean, when your general manager is coming out a week before the season saying, look, it is what it is. It's the hand we were dealt. Yeah. Like that's not a good situation. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's not great. Washington is what it is. Dallas. Everybody was saying all season long, like you gotta have some depth there, Jerry, Steven. And then what happens? You lose Smith, yeah. your starting left tackle, who's been slowing down a little bit right before the season. And so the rookie left guard, the rookie tackle you drafted to eventually play left tackle, that you've had at left guard the entire season, now has to play left tackle. But then you bring in Jason Peters <laughs> on the cusp of the season, who's my age. Like, it's <laughs> not great. It's, it's going to be painful, though. I love Jason Peters, and I thought he got too much yes. flack when he didn't necessarily play well. Towards, it's going to be hard to win. It's it's going to be tough seeing him in a Cowboys. And look, he exceeded expectations last year with the Bears. Um, I will say that. Yeah. Like, I feel like he was the healthiest that 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 he had been. Um, but I just can't see him lasting for a full season at this age again. Right. I think that's that's his one last hurrah good run with the Bears. And now it's like, brother, I, like, it, bless you for getting the, the plan check. is probably like getting like eight weeks out of him at left tackle yeah. and you're and you're until Smith is ready to go slide in from guard to tackle and like you're planning to rearrange the offensive line around Halloween anyway yeah. like that's not <laughs> a good approach good luck with that is there anything else you want to talk on before we wrap this episode up actually what's your record prediction if you haven't given it on a different show I said 12 and 5 that was mine as well 12 and 5 that was, that was mine. Yeah. I'm 12 and 5 too, but I'm going to be more optimistic. Oh, okay. Why not? Let's go all fair. <laughs> I love it. Mike's been yelling at me for years to actually have takes. So here we go. There's like, like there's no excuse they win, this season. They definitely win at least one playoff game. I would even say they yeah. might win two. I will be very, That's... very disappointed if they don't win one playoff game. As low as this roster is, like, there's no excuse. No. I mean, provided you avoid injuries yeah. and all that stuff. Like, if we're talking about Gardner Minshew around Halloween, then yeah. it's a different story. Much as we love Gardner around here. Yeah. So I think I think uh, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I put my take out there. Like, but like I like yeah. I always tell Mark, you know, have a take. Yeah. Don't be put, boring. Have a take, and then 
they, they go hide for a little bit. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Twitter, that's Twitter. Right. I mean, we all have bad takes, right? That's 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 part of the deal. That's the game. Yeah. That's what we signed up for. <laughs> so yeah, th- no, I think I, I think I've hit on everything I wanted to, Mark. Uh, again, can't thank you enough. I, l- I look forward to what you got coming up next. But uh, Brayshell, thank you for inviting me on um, as well. It's been an honor to to come join you guys. Uh, the show has been in great hands since I left, and I'm excited to see, you know, what at, at BGN what what the next evolution is that we're currently working on um, as we head into the season. Thanks to this thanks to this uh, recent news, but uh, I just had. Uh, a, a wonderful time being on here and uh i know we're supposed to be doing something together with me and solak getting together with bgn radio for a quadcast in the future we want to do something uh tied to charity for that we haven't just been able to line up the schedules for it so you still have that look to look forward to gentle listeners and hopefully after that uh things go well for me and i never have to do another podcast uh again <laughs> everybody's always gonna want you back so yeah the people need more kiss in their lives. That's what I've always said. No. My wife would disagree, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> My marriage is fine. Your marriage is fine. My marriage is fine. But thank you, Kiss, for joining us. We really, we thank already you, know the gentle listeners are going to appreciate it. Mark, thank you so much for everything you've done. I've learned so much just from working with you this past year. Um, but that's going to be a wrap for this episode of the QB Factory Reboot. Once again, don't forget to rate, leave a review, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, uh, Mark, do you have any last words? Well, Rachel, it has been awesome. Uh, get to know you over the past year. It's been a joy doing the showcase, buddy. Love you guys to death, both of you guys. Um, it, it's been a pleasure and an honor. And for one last time, go Eagles. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. <laughs> <laughs>